welcome to a grad chat your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at queen's my name is cj the dj and i'm your host for this week's a grad chat of course a show like this could not happen without the support of the school of graduate studies and postdoctoral affairs as well as cfrc so thank you very much to both of them now if your mates miss the show at any time don't forget you can download the podcast the next day on either itunes google Podcasts, or spotify so no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing today though I would like to introduce you to Ali Sheik, who is doing a Master of Applied Science in Mechanical and Material Engineering under the supervision of Dr. Chris Machewski. Welcome to Grad Chat, Ali. Thanks. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Now, we've been trying to get this interview done for, for the past few weeks <laughs> on the course. Yeah. Luckily, Ali has been very flexible and worked around my schedule, so I really do appreciate that. No problem. Hope you're feeling better. Well, certainly am. I've got all the jabs, you know, I've done the flu shot, the COVID shot, you know, <laughs> I've, I've fully protected, I think. So Good. going there, well there. Now, Ali, before we go on to talk about some of the work that you're doing, okay, you're doing a Master of Applied Science, but what got you here to Queen's and working in this particular program? I mean, what, give me a bit uh, about your background for us. Yeah, so I went to high school in Acton, which is a really, really small town out near Georgetown, Milton, Guelph, around there. So I kind of wanted to escape my small town. So I came <laughs> as far as possible within the province. With a, wow. just a little bit bigger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just slightly, not even that big. But to me, it feels big. And I like that. So I moved four hours away to attend Queen's University because I wanted to be an engineer. Didn't know what kind. Right. Went through first year, just grazed by. Absolutely. Barely made it. I passed first it. year I, is always tricky. It was insane. <laughs> I still look at it and I'm like, that's insane. There's too much work, but that's fine. You figure out along the way. You so do. I chose mechanical engineering in first year, after first year, because that's what you do if you don't know what you want to do. <laughs> it's the <laughs> biggest deal. You can do a lot of things from there. I'd say I really came into my own near the end of third year, fourth year. I became a, I went from all D minuses to all A pluses. Good job. Thank you. It took a while. <laughs> and then I actually, I went on internship after third year. Oh, and good. so I did a mechanical engineering internship at McLean Engineering, where they make big mining vehicles that go underground. Oh, those and ones with the huge tires. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So that's where I realized I didn't want to be a mechanical engineer. <laughs> I was like, okay, we got to do something else. So I looked at, uh, you know, what really made me feel like life was worth living. And for mm -hmm. me, it was always music and the musical experience and especially the feeling of music, like the physical sensation of a well-tuned speaker. Like my favorite activity right. is to go to a concert. And while I think it is too loud, I think it plays the role of letting you feel the music in a way that many people can't do anymore. Right, right. And so I really like having a stereo. I think we lost that somewhere along the way. The 70s, the 80s, the 90s, people loved having a big stereo in their house. Yep. In the, cor the corners, the great yeah. big speakers. Yeah, yeah. And it was important. And now everything's just built into TVs, and I feel like it doesn't give you the same feeling. So well, you my goal in life is to bring that feeling back. 
Well, it's actually quite funny because I know you said you didn't want to be in mechanical engineering, but you're in the Department of Mechanical and Materials Engineering. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. Well, acoustics like, is yes. a branch of mechanical engineering. So, so let's so let's go on to that. I mean, first of all, actually, with your undergrad, I mean, that was a, a great transition coming through. And we mm -hmm. know from high school to undergrad, that first year can be extremely daunting. Yeah, yeah. They tell you in high school, they're like, don't expect to do well. But of course you expect to do well. You, you know, do, you do. The top of your class. And then and you realize, no, things aren't quite the same because we do things a little bit different here at university. But what what is what you shown was that you know you can have not not such a great start but you can mm -hmm. end off end your bachelor's degree for instance with with good marks and yeah, and yeah, learn sure. along the way where your potential direction is and yeah. I, I found that fascinating that you said you worked on with that internship which is great that you have an internship yeah yeah that no, does give you program. a much much better idea of where you want to go and then of course now your love for music which is yeah I must admit, music is pretty fantastic, yeah. and so so let's get on to that. So in your ma you're, you're doing a master of applied science now. That is not a long program; it's only two years. Mm -hmm. But you wanted to look in into the area of acoustics, as you yes. as you mentioned in in your background, and I guess you've kind of told us about your fascination in this. But as but how did you find out in the department there was this area of acoustics that you could get involved in? Because right, so, your internship wasn't anything to do with that. <laughs> right. So like I said, I was like speakers. I also played around with uh, making beats in undergrad. And so I took a course called sound production in third oh, year yes. mm -hmm. at the Isabel. It was, ah, in, right. it was in the, the, the music slash drama program. There. Right. So that was one of my electives, and it was the course I enjoyed the very most. It was all audio post-processing, fully understanding what makes a good soundtrack, essentially, mm -hmm. based on the application. And so I just kept going towards things that I liked until I found out that I wasn't very good at the musical part. So I could I could at least work on the technical side for the musician. Oh, that's, hilarious. that's hilarious. Yeah. So you can enjoy the music, but... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I realized it was like, you know what, maybe I'm not the creative, but I could be the scientist behind it, you know. Well, because we know, I mean, if you don't have a good mixer when you're doing your making records and things, yeah. that can really... Yeah, it's all about your... production. That's exactly. It. it is. So, and some um, people, it's all about production. It's not even their voice. It's everything else that goes on behind. Yeah, <laughs> so. very much so. I agree. Well, that was great that you had an opportunity to do that. And make. I was having a bit of a giggle too because here you are, you're into the technical side of the back end of it, and here I, here we are doing this uh, recording, and I'm thinking, gosh, you probably know a lot more than I do. <laughs> here I, don't worry about it. Here it's I am saying all these things. <laughs> oh, you know, I'll just, you know, I can edit this out, and mm -hmm. da 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 da. Uh, it was one course. It's not that much. <laughs> Let me well, be real. <laughs> well, for me, it was two lessons in the CFRC studio. Then after mm. that, I was on my own. But yeah. Uh, no, you can figure it out. And I still haven't done a lot of extra. I do what I need to. Well, let but, me know. <laughs> uh, but I might have to. I might have to. So, okay. So you're looking in your master's now. You're looking into acoustics and you're mm -hmm. looking at something that's called the Hemholtz Resonating Honeycomb Acoustic Panel Design. Is that correct? That's my design, but it wasn't the center of the master's. The master's okay. was a, essentially, I emailed a professor, Christopher Machevsky. I said, hey, I want to be an acoustic engineer. Right. I had taken a couple, so I had a very bad GPA, 
but I showed my interest by telling him that I did two courses online, not connected to school. Right. They were through LinkedIn Learning and they were through Skillshare. So, you know, those free one month signups. Yes, I did which one are lovely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I did loudspeaker enclosure design and uh, music studio acoustic uh, design or dimensioning, right. essentially. And so I think that showed my interest. And then he accepted me as a master's student and he showed me the problem definition was, do you want me to go into that right now or do you want to see it? Yeah, sure. Go go into what you mean by problem definition. Yeah. So essentially he just told me, okay, we're we're building this aircraft. We have noises at these two frequencies. You have one inch of space to work with. I need you to design anything that will get rid of these two frequencies. Oh. And that was it. It was very open-ended. And so because I only had two frequencies, I was like, okay, we need to have something that's very tunable. You know, we don't need a huge broadband. We need something that's highly specialized in one frequency range. So, so can, I, can I stop yeah, you there for ahead. a minute? When you mean frequencies, what does mm-hmm. that mean? I mean oh, you said oh, you had yes. two, you said you had like one inch or something and two frequencies. I mean, yes, what do you yeah, mean okay. by that? Uh, a frequency is how many times per second a wave is moving okay. in technical terms. Right. But a better way to understand it is bass is a low frequency. So 100 times per second would be a bass note, 100 hertz. Okay. Ooh, it's very slow versus, say, a ding on a bell. It's a high frequency sound and can be between 10,000 and 20,000 times per second that wow. wave is moving. Wow. And so the quickness of that wave and the length of that wave affect how you can get rid of it or amplify it. Okay. And so when you design for a solution, you have to know what you're going for. And mine was low frequency noise from the engine of the aircraft. And so the big issue with aircraft noise that has low frequencies involved is that low frequencies cannot be attenuated or reduced, same word, right? by materials that don't have the same dimension as the wavelength. So a low frequency note has a very large wave in, right. in a span of meters. And so to effectively reduce it, you need to have a material with an equivalent thickness. You know, if the wave is going to go through something that's a meter thick, you can cut that frequency. But if your wave is 10 meters and your material is one meter, you cannot cut that frequency because it'll go right through. It doesn't It doesn't even uh, interact with the object. That's why you hear bass outside of clubs and bass coming right. through your wall. You don't hear high frequency from your neighbor. You hear the thud. You hear the... Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So can I step back a little bit then? Yes. yes. So what's the problem? Why are you having to get rid of these two frequencies? What's it doing to the plane? I mean, who cares if it's got a bit of noise or is it affecting the plane somehow? Uh, It is affecting your experience on the plane. So when you get on a 16-hour flight, you expect to sleep. Oh, yeah, you don't want to hear that buzzing of the engines and things. Exactly, yeah. Okay, right, right. Not only is it a comfort issue, Mm -hmm. it's also a safety issue because if you hear noise from the engine, it doesn't sound good to you. It makes you uneasy. Yeah, good point. It it pulls you towards panic. So you want to reduce that. And especially in luxury aircraft, like private jets, you're paying for an experience. And so you need it to be silent. You need to be comfortable. Um, Outside of airplanes, uh, noise is a big issue in every single workplace. So there are OSHA, which is the Safety Board of Ontario. 
uh, has regulations on how much noise you're allowed to hear while you're so working. So this is like the so the white noise that people talk about around us, this in the background. Essentially, yeah, but if there weren't people like me, it wouldn't just be in the background. It would be very dominating to right. that aircraft. Yeah. So it doesn't mean to say in the aircraft's point of view that it's it's not causing problems with the flying of the aircraft. It's just a discomfort for people near uh, Yeah, but if there was no there was no uh, designed to reduce it, you could definitely implement vibration within the cabin. Okay, so, so this your is cup where... would rattle, things would right. move around. Right. So, okay, so let's yeah. go on to that part. Sorry, I know I'm probably jumping in here, no, but it's okay. I'm finding this fascinating, as they say. <laughs> I'm glad. So you talk, you talked about here's this frequency and and the base where we can, f most of us can feel the bass sound a mm -hmm. lot more than sort of the high frequency. Totally yes. get that. You hear about these words, resonance. Yes. What does resonance mean? Is that this feeling that we get, these vibrations? Is that what resonance is? Right. So resonance is every single object you come across has a reson actually multiple resonance frequencies. They're all multiples of each other. But essentially, there is a singular frequency that when you play it at an object, it will rattle the most. It'll rattle the object? It'll right. rattle the object the right. most okay. because it's a specific amount of energy that lines up with, say, a dimensions of a door, and you'll hear it go, D -d 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 -d. and then if you change the frequency, it goes away. Okay. But it's it's a function of the size of the object and the stiffness of it and its geometry, and so that is where structural problems start to happen. If you catch resonance within any structural part of the plane. You can have bolts come loose. You can have uh, fatigue uh, of the metal because right. it's constantly being bent. Sh back it's and like forth. it's being shaken the whole time. Yeah, yeah. So it makes things shake the most when you hit resonance. That's what okay. you need to know. You have the largest amount of displacement or movement of that object. Which makes total sense. I remember my dad saying when he was in the services that whenever they crossed a bridge, marching across the bridge, they had to change their cadence and be out mm. of sync. Because yeah. otherwise, there was the chance that the bridge would collapse. And yeah. I'm assuming it's because of this resonance. Yes, exactly. So wind can do that as well. Wind can cause vibration. And if you hit resonance, you have the most amount of displacement on an object that is much less stiff than a roadway, right? Because it's hanging in air. It's a beam. Right, right. And yeah, we certainly don't want in an airplane for a, yeah. a bolt to suddenly go flying off anywhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Then I would be panicking big time, I, I yeah. can imagine. <laughs> We're trying to prevent that, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, okay, so we know what residence is. That makes total sense. And, mm -hmm. and the moment you're looking at a plane and there's a, a particular area you're looking at. But where does this Helm, Helmholtz resonating honeycomb come in? Right. You said that was something you knew. I mean, the Helmholtz resonance design has been there before. So first of all, what's that? But then what are you doing differently? Okay, yeah. Yeah, I can, I can explain that. Mm -hmm. So Helmholtz resonator. I want you to imagine a two liter pop bottle. Yep. You take off the cap, you blow into it. You hear a noise and it's one frequency. Okay. And that's the resonation frequency inside of that bottle. Okay. And all the Helmholtz resonator is, is a neck and a cavity. And so the neck is the small opening at the top and then leading into a larger cavity in the back. Right. Okay. And so essentially that will act as a spring mass system for anyone in engineering. Essentially your mass is the amount of air that's inside of the neck or the thin part of the bottle. Right. And then your spring 
is how much air is in the back of that cavity, the big two liter portion. And so it'll bounce back and forth. And based on the dimensions of the neck and cavity, you'll get rid of one frequency very well. It'll completely go. And that's the frequency that you hear when you blow into it. Okay. So that's a Helmholtz resonator. And the reason that's important is because it provides something called sub wavelength attenuation, which is the wavelength may be 10 meters. My pop bottle is, let's say, 20 centimeters, but it can get rid of a wavelength that is 10 meters long with the right dimensions. Okay, right. right. So these uh, troublesome low frequencies that we have so much trouble getting rid of because they take such large thickness, the Helmholtz resonator is a specialist in sub-wavelength attenuation. So those wavelengths that are too long to be covered by regular material, you use a metamaterial or a material that changes throughout its depth or length, essentially is what a metamaterial is. So you're not just relying on the air that's inside these two cavities, it's something else. No, it is the it is the interaction of the two, two. packets of air basically going back okay. and forth. But essentially, you can use an object that's one inch thick to get rid of a wavelength that's 10 meters long, which is not possible with regular materials. It's a okay. phenomena. Okay. You know? So we're going to use that phenomena with the one inch of thickness that I have to work with inside of this airplane to get rid of these two frequencies that my professor wants gone. And how exactly are you doing that? Because, I mean, if you look at the cavity of a plane, it's quite big, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So we have a lot of surface area to cover. And then this is where our negotiable design parameters come in. After we know that we want to use Helmholtz resonators because they give us that sub-wavelength attenuation, yep. we have to look at all the other criteria that we have to fill. Mm-hmm. And so inside of an airplane, you can only use aerospace-grade material because within the panels of the aircraft, the, the fuselage and the cabin, no one's going in there to maintain it. So you need it to last forever. And it right. needs to be ultra-reliable, ultra-durable. So that's one consideration. Two is... The layer of foam that they usually put inside the aircraft for sound insulation also acts as a, one, thermal insulator, so it holds heat, and two, prevents fire. So that foam that they usually use will snuff out a fire before it can get to where people are in the cabin. Can you also use it as a dampener for noise? The foam? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so that's what it does. It's a dual-use purpose, but again, it doesn't cover those low frequencies. Right. And so now we have fire retardancy and... Heat, heat, um, keeping yeah. the heat in. Right. So yeah, we won't cover the heat part, but essentially it also needs to be a stiff enough material that it will stay in place and right. it can be reliable and durable. Like it's not some soft little sheet that, you know... It's going to move around and... It's not going to move around and be ineffective. Yeah. So we needed a certain amount of stiffness. And the most important consideration is that it needs to be as lightweight as possible right because in an airplane the more mass you have the less power you have to move which means you need more gas to get where you're going right the biggest consideration is one get rid of the sound two keep the weight as light as possible and so that's what led me to using um, honeycomb is because honeycomb is basically the best ratio of stiffness to weight that you can get Right, it's a good structure, isn't it? I mean, that's why yeah. the bees use it. It's a good, exactly. solid structure. Yeah, yeah. They've evolved for a long time to figure yes. that out. So we just steal it. Great <laughs> idea, course. guys. Yeah. <laughs> and then so what I use is a material called Nomex, 
which is naturally fire retardant. So okay. it will snuff out that fire, covers all of our bases. And now I've got this extremely lightweight, extremely stiff for its weight, and fire retardant material. And I'm like, okay, how do I make a Helmholtz resonator out of this? So, can, sorry, can I just no, check then? So yeah. this structure, this honeycomb that you've created, mm -hmm. are you saying that's going to replace the foam? Yes. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Just to make so sure I'm on the, yeah. just making sure I'm still understanding. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> so yeah, we're going to use that honeycomb to get rid of the sound. And I'm now I'm going, okay, how do I make a resonator out of this honeycomb? Right. And so I start looking into papers and these papers are like, oh, if you put a sheet of material on top and then behind, and then you poke a little hole on top of each of the honeycomb cells. So those little right. hexagons. Mm -hmm. You can, in fact, make Helmholtz resonators from this. Oh, okay. But. There's always a but. With, there's <laughs> always a but, yeah. So because the, in order to have a good amount of stiffness, the honeycomb cells are generally very small, like smaller than a centimeter. Oh, God, that's a lot of holes then you're going to have to. Yeah, yeah. A lot work. of holes you have to make, one. And two, because of the dimensionality. So your cavity is going to be so small. Imagine the honeycomb cell mm -hmm. is the cavity. And then the hole you're poking on top of it is going to be the neck. It's a very small amount of space. And those, right. that small amount of space means that your Helmholtz resonator is only going to effectively cut out high frequency. You need more okay. space in order to... So the neck has to be longer then. So where ah, you... Yeah, you're right. So the neck, either, either you have to get a very small diameter, so a pinhole. Right or a very long hole, which, you know, we don't have space because we have one inch of thickness. And, or you have a massive cavity in the back. That's right. the way to get it to go lower, right. lower frequency. And so the issue with, okay, fine, why don't we just poke very tiny holes inside of this material is because when you go to drill something, the diameter that you're trying to drill, so say 0.1 of a millimeter, you can only go two or three times that diameter in thickness. So if I'm uh, in poking a hole that is 0 0.1 millimeters wide, I can only go 0 0.2 millimeters deep right. before that drill bit will just snap because it's so tiny. Right. And so for easy manufacturing, we need a different design in order to do this. It's just, it's not going to be reliable. Like any dust gets in that hole, it's not going to be useful. You know, no one's yeah. going to go in there to maintain it. So we also have this issue now. We're like, all these papers, they're proving that this is possible, but is it useful? No. It's, it's, not, not, it's not practical. It's not practical. Mm -hmm. And so the design that I came up with, I've created a design that allows us to have two millimeter holes. So that's very manufacturable, very easy. That means the drill bit can also go two millimeters deep. Right. And then that backing cavity is now artificially larger. Okay. It's acting like it's a bigger volume mm -hmm. without actually being thicker, right? So there's another phenomena that we're playing into there that I can't explain, but hopefully in a year I can to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and the beauty so, of intellectual property. We do. Yeah, yeah. Let me sign my name on it and then I'll yeah. tell you guys all about it. Just for everyone. <laughs> This is one of the problems we have sometimes to our listeners is that, you know, we do have to be careful, particularly if we're creating something new, mm -hmm. that we don't spill the beans of what it is until we've had a chance to pattern it properly. So yeah. I, I can understand why you're being a bit being a bit careful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's what I'm here to explain is that, you know, me, 
just a student looking into whatever they like, mm-hmm. you can you can find gaps in the literature. Right. That if you're excited about the field, you'll really pour yourself into because you're you're interested in it. Yes. And there's lots of space, especially in acoustics, for innovation. We've been doing things the same way for so long that there's plenty of gaps in the knowledge that you as a master's student or a PhD student right. can absolutely discover and patent for yourself. Like I'm trying to tell you, I was not a good student in undergrad. I figured it out near the end. And that's only because I started to focus myself after third year into acoustics. Right. You know, and that's something year, you're passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. So mm. in fourth year, I had all these open-ended projects, you know, do whatever you want, but it's got to be really technical. And so I just did everything about acoustics, built up a knowledge base. You know, you start to wonder like in your sleep and in the shower about, okay, what if we did what this? If did? What if we did this? Yeah. That's Especially great. in these little niche fields where a lot of work has not been done. Well, it, it's interesting. I mean, first of all, that's great because, I mean, a lot of people don't follow their passions and I'm a firm believer if you're enjoying what you're doing, you're more likely to succeed. Yeah. So so you followed that, which is fantastic. Yeah. But, but it's then very it, scary because you... Well, you, it is. It's a monetary society, right? You focus on what's going to make me those money. And, you know, like every other engineering student, I debated. I was like, why don't I just go learn how to code? Then, <laughs> which you, know, you could but what was can. nice i mean you liked acoustic i mean that could have gone in all sorts of directions for this mm-hmm. particular project so for your for your project i mean you could have gone more on what most people think about acoustics with the music side of it mm-hmm. you know music production and how can we make that better but here's an opportunity to work in a in an industry that maybe people in acoustics didn't think about at the time mm. you know the aviation business and you know and if it's suitable to look at this for aviation it'd be the same for any sort of manufacturing that you may which we may not realize acoustics has a a part to play Mm -hmm. whether it's a positive part or a negative part and so you've you know you've found something i mean did you even think you'd be working on trying to solve an issue for planes Uh, actually yeah so noise is a huge issue for airplanes because they're charged based on how loud they are when they land at an airport, it costs oh, them right? more money. It costs ah, them more money to okay. land if they're louder. So it is a direct cost savings to have an acoustic engineer muffle that noise as much as possible because that plane going in and out of that airport is going to ah, uh, have okay. a larger cost. Yeah. Oh, I, I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah, well, that yeah, yeah. That's good to know. But the other thing is what I thought was interesting when you talked about uh, the the atmosphere and the the journey that the the person has when mm-hmm. they're in a plane you know the comfort levels of the person do you think this will come down to the end where you know we all go on airplanes now with noise cancelling headphones right most of that for me is to block out humming of the plane yeah because <laughs> so, yeah. there's that sure. just in the background particularly when you're trying to sleep it's just there in the background mm-hmm. you can hear it so are you hoping down the track, I mean, could be a while yet, but you're hoping down the track that there won't be any need for noise-canceling headphones, just headphones so you're not disturbing anyone else around you to hear your music? Right. I didn't even think of that. I, You know, when I think about an airplane, I mostly think about the flight attendants and the pilot. Right. Because they're the ones who aren't allowed to wear headphones. Yes, good. <laughs> they're working. <laughs> they're on it every other day. Right. You know? So I work for them. I right. think you know, if I can make your job more comfortable, you're less irritated all the time. 
you'll that, be a nicer person to everybody else. You know, trickle that, down. That makes sense. Right there, yeah. That makes sense. Um, and but I'm just being selfish. Being a, cust- <laughs> being a customer on the plane. <laughs> no, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, I can't a- control the noise that other people make, and you no, know. that's true. So, if this does come to fruition for you, are there other areas that you could use this system? Uh, absolutely. So, if we look at any sort of room, in particularly small rooms, you have very noticeable resonances, and so anything, especially rooms with a short ceiling. They sound bad. There's a lot of echo. Right. There's almost a dinging to it, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, these panels could directly reduce that dinging noise because that dinging noise is one frequency that's resonating. Right, and right. So as long as you can identify what it is, you throw this panel behind the walls and now it's gone. It can no longer exist because right? it's getting sucked up into those little holes. Right, right. Back and forth. You know, I'm going to... I'm going to think about acoustics in a very different way from now yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> so with acoustics, it's if it's very good acoustics, you don't notice. Well, and like the, like the Isabel, right? I mean, their yeah. main um, auditorium, I absolutely love it. And I'm mm-hmm. sure all um, musicians who get to play on that stage must love it too. Yeah, it gives you an experience, right? Mm-hmm. It feels different in that room. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the whole thing is it it's more enjoyable because it's less irritating to your ears. Right. And I think we've just become so accustomed to the irritation in regular life that when you step into a place that's designed for a specific purpose, you can feel the difference. Well, it's like you go into the countryside and yeah. you and you go, you know, late at night and you think, I can just hear the wind and, and yeah. you can you can pull out the exact mm-hmm. sounds that you're hearing, for instance. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, as miles opposed, away. As yeah. opposed to a city, well, it's just all just jumbled. And, you know, if you're clever, you can pull, oh, well, that's a car and that's this and that's that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And Yeah, um, yeah. Very, sound very can travel different. indefinitely far in air. It can go, you can hear something 10 miles away if there's nothing in the way for that sound to. Right. Uh, I've listened to many a good concert from my uh, balcony Whoa. when, because... The wind has been blowing in the right direction. Yeah, and... <laughs> Thank you, Michael Jackson. That was a lovely concert. There you go, for free. <laughs> for free, yes, exactly. Before we go, I want to ask you one more question. And yeah. I do like to ask this from time to time. Um, you're part of the Kingston Hidden Artist Collective. Oh, yeah. You so apart it, from yeah. music, you're into art as well. So do you do much of that? Yeah, so I was here one summer, uh, right before I started my master's. Um, it was the first time I had, you know, not, no obligations. I was starting my master's in September. I was free to do whatever I wanted all summer. And essentially, it was the first time that I got to walk downtown while thinking about nothing. And so I was much more observant. And I came right. across people who were selling their art downtown. And a lot of people were disadvantaged artists you know they were either houseless or going through a rough time and they were trying to make more income and I love their work like my house is full of work from these people and it's I think it's because they have a different uh outlook on life we may live in the same place but they experience it completely differently yes and that will always come out in their art it's something novel to look at because this person has a completely different set of experiences than me and so that's what makes art fun is it makes you feel something in your brain. And yeah. I felt these people had a really good 
value to their work because their experiences were so different. And, and what's your role with it? Right. So I thought, okay, uh, let me buy them. So I buy them from them and they say, yeah, it's just 20 bucks for a, a whole canvas. And I'm like, how? Like, you've spent, must have been like a week working on this. Yeah. But it's the desperation and the need for money that drives the price lower. And so I thought, okay, you can make a lot more money from this just with more than a one-time sale. Make a copy of it, sell prints, right? merchandise. You can do an art show. Like there's so many ways that you can make $100 off a painting 20 times. Right. Right. It just requires the right resources and marketing to get it out there. Right. And so that's what I do for them is I, I acquire their work, pay them for it, uh, get grants, get um, like talk to businesses and say, hey, we'll put up all of our art inside of your cafe for this much money and you can have it for three months. Right. And so they get a nice space. Yeah, they get a nice atmosphere for people to come in, look at their look at the art, uh, increase the value of their business, and we get a kickback, and then I spread that money back to them. They right. put it back into their work. They have a better life. They produce more work. I either sell that work, or I create prints from it, or T-shirts, or more art shows, and the cycle continues. Right? You this it almost runs itself because people want to see the work, right. and they're willing to pay for it but they just need someone to contact easily and set it all up for them. Ali, that's right. awesome. I had no idea. And, and and so apart from going around downtown cafes and things, is there, mm -hmm. a, is there a way that people can um, find out more about yeah, the Yeah, so we have a website. It's called khack.ca, uh, khac.ca. You can check us out there. You can uh, contact us or... If you need a piece of art, let me know. I can get it to you. There's free delivery within Kingston. You can order straight from the website. That's it's awesome. What, mm -hmm. a, what a great way to, to give back to the community. I'm, I'm, yeah, it's all that's, that sort of pulled at the heartstrings a little bit there, Ellie. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure they're very appreciative of it. And they're appreciative, but I think also the community, because sometimes, like you said, people don't get to see some of these great artists because – they don't have the place to be able to showcase their work. Yeah, it's and just yet, a perspective. So, that's it. Mm -hmm. So that's really good. Well, thank you for sharing that. I, I had no, no idea, but I do now. So yeah. I, I like that. Give a quick shout out. It's not just me. It's also yes. my partner, my business partner, Mara Fraser, and our graphic designer, Arham Choudhury, who work on this all together. Fantastic. To well, that. kudos to all three of you. That's brilliant. Thanks. And I'm thank sure everyone's going to be very thankful for all your work Ali we're going to have to call it quits there we've talked about music acoustics art uh, a lot yeah, of things covered a lot of big we, range we have covered a lot so I really do appreciate you coming on the show no thank you for having me good so that's it everyone a, another week of grad chat sadly comes to an end don't forget you can download the show tomorrow from either iTunes Google Podcasts or Spotify just type in grad chat until next week this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big alright
Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.